Galatians chapter 2. I'll tell you what, what we just heard was immensely helpful, wasn't it? And uh, that's one of those verses that I have read for years and never noticed. <laughs> wow, what a verse there in Hosea. Uh, tremendously practical and vital help. And written as if it was for 2015. <laughs> and uh, very much uh, helpful. And I'm sure there are many in the audience tonight that went to the Lord in prayer. The brief time that we had. And your heart cry is to be protected from uh, those things that take away your heart. And there are times when you know what it is to confess your sin. And you say, oh God, I've blown it. And uh, you know, the blood of Jesus cleans you up every time you get honest. It really does. And yet down deep you're thinking, but yes, I don't want to go back to it though. How do I keep from going back to it? Well, tonight we're going to look at a text that is a beautiful matching text to what we just heard. Because this deals with the provision that God has given, even in 2015, to his people to be free, liberated, victorious, as we sang tonight earlier, over the world, over these things that can take away the heart. Now, when I preached here in the year 2000, I preached a message on Galatians 2.20. And... Uh, over those next couple of years, I was in and out a couple of times during the year, and I had preached that message uh, more than once, uh, so that uh, by 2002, I came into the uh, January conference, and uh, by that time, you know, you keep growing in the Lord, you keep learning things, and the message had mutated a little bit, uh, so uh, I thought, well, let's change a little bit so I could preach it again, and so I did, and Jerry Parker said to me afterwards, John, you missed the point. <laughs> because I had changed a little bit there and so on and I've preached it a time or two since but I looked at my records and it's been quite a while and there's a lot of faces here that uh, were not here in those years and this is actually an outline that I've never preached here at LifeGate though it's the same text and uh, of course the same truth but it's a glorious truth it is the gospel to the saint it is that good news that goes beyond freedom from the penalty of sin, which is hell, to the good news of freedom from the power of sin, this side of heaven. And that's what we're talking about. There is a provision that can liberate us, free us, enable us to overcome and be victorious over the world and these things that can take away our heart. So let's look at it tonight. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. If you're saved, if you're born again, then what the Apostle Paul says here under inspiration is true for you as much as it was for him. Now let's let the Holy Spirit speak it to the depths of our being tonight. Let's ask God, and we pray in a moment, to, to give us not a surface understanding, but a full, deep understanding of what He means by these words. So here's what it says, and this is true for every child of God. I am crucified with Christ. Stunning. Nevertheless, somehow I live. And yet, not I, but Christ liveth or is living. He lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, and in that case we refer to the mortal body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What a verse. 
Christ lives in every believer. And yet it says it's by faith or you miss out on the manifest reality. The title of this message is The Christ Life. Now we could call it the victorious life. We could call it the higher life. We could call it the deeper life. We could call it the overcoming life. We could call it the revived life. But there's only one life that we're talking about. His name is Jesus. He is the victorious life. He is the higher life. He himself is the deeper life. He is the overcoming life. And so tonight, let's look at this concept of the Christ life. Now let's pray, and will you join me and ask the Holy Spirit himself to be your teacher tonight. Let's pray. Blessed Holy Spirit, we thank you for what you've already done to to challenge our thinking tonight. And to nurture faith and give us help from the word. Now, Holy Spirit, again, would you be our teacher? Oh, open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, from that one that's here, who's been saved the longest, to that one who just recently got saved. Lord, and everywhere in between, would you speak truth to our inner man? Lord, would you so convince us of the reality of the words that are before us, that faith would be built, that it would just be the natural response to have a faith response and access and experience the Christ life. And Lord, would you do it in such a way that this becomes the new habit of life where needed, that the habit of faith would replace the habit of unbelief, and that therefore the experience of grace would replace the experience of defeat. So I plead the blood of Jesus. Would you protect us from the attack of the enemy who so seeks to hide this truth? And Lord Jesus, I claim our position in you at the throne, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named. And in your great name, that is above all names, I exercise your authority over the powers of darkness that would seek to hinder tonight in any way. And I trust you, Lord, that that not be allowed. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you take of what is Christ and show him unto us. Testify of Jesus tonight. Glorify Jesus tonight. May the weight of truth that's connected to these words sink deep within our hearts. And may we be changed forever. We thank you for it. May the Lord Jesus be honored. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Is it possible to go from being regularly defeated, surprised by victory, (laughs) to being regularly victorious, surprised by defeat? Friends, that's possible. (laughs) If words have meaning, if language has integrity, then these words, just one verse, a long verse, but this verse provides truth that lets us know, yes, you can go from being regularly defeated, surprised by an occasional victory, to being regularly victorious, shocked by the defeat. That's true. That happened in the life of Rosalind Goforth when she and her husband were serving the Lord a century ago in China and she was very actively involved. Uh, What uh, dedicated missionaries they were. And she had a very energetic personality. And at times it was a snappy personality. (laughs) 
You know what I mean? You ever met one of those? Are you one of those? <laughs> ah, and uh, uh, she would snap at people and, and she'd get impatient and irritated and she, she was quick-tempered and she'd kind of fly off the handle a bit and it, it would make the other workers there in the Chinese, uh, the Chinese workers there in the mission, uh, it would offend them. It would hurt their feelings and finally it got to the point where they didn't even want to be around her. And she was the missionary's wife. And the saved Chinese didn't even want to be around her, much less the unsaved. And it grieved her soul. And she longed for victory. She longed for it. But she knew not how to get it. Maybe that's where you find yourself tonight. Maybe the issue for you is something different than a quick temper. But you know down deep you long for victory. Well in the goodness and providence of God. Some months later when she was uh, back in uh, Canada. Her home country. She was at a Bible conference. And she heard a preacher by the name of Charles Trumbull preach. And uh, uh, she got stirred by what he said. And she recognized there's something there. I don't get it all. But there's something there. And because of that she bought a sermon in print by Trumbull. It was on Galatians 2.20. The title of that message is The Life That Wins. And she was reading that sermon out loud to her family a few days later. And in the sermon, Trumbull was giving his own testimony. He'd been uh, uh, saved early in life and uh, was in the service of God. And he said, uh, he gave his own testimony how that for 25 years as a Christian worker, he was defeated. Oh, he said, others would have looked at me and said, my, what a fine example of a Christian worker. Look at all that he does. And yet he was honest enough to say, I knew there were issues down in my heart that ought not be there. And he said, I knew that I had all of this activity in the form of, uh, uh, of all these things I did. But there was something missing. There was a lack of power. There was a lack of carrying power to those motions of service. And then God opened his eyes to a truth that radically changed his life. And in that part of his testimony, he made a statement that c- caught the attention of Rosalind. This was the statement. Trumbull said, I finally came to realize... That Jesus Christ is actually and literally in me. Now friends, he was a preacher of the gospel. He already knew that intellectually. But you know, you can know something and not know it. And that was the statement that grabbed Rosalind. I finally came to realize that Jesus Christ is actually and literally in me. And the more she thought about it, the more excited she got because she began to realize, wait a second, Jesus, he's sinless. He's victorious. And if his life is in me, there's provision for victory. There is a victorious life that indwells my body. (laughs) And the more she thought about it, the more excited she got as she realized that Jesus was sufficient for every temptation, every provocation, every trial, everything. And uh, and that same Jesus lived in her. And she began to just depend on the reality that Christ's life lived in her. And friends, when that happened, the life of Jesus was imparted to the personality of Rosalind. And that life of Jesus began to animate and energize Rosalind Goforth. And friends, that's revival. That's life again. That's restoration to spiritual life. And it was real. And over time, she began to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, as we talked about earlier today. And it was real. So real 
that months later when she was back in China, the Chinese workers asked her husband, Rosalind, I mean, uh, Jonathan, what's happened to Rosalind? <laughs> oh, she's changed. <laughs> she doesn't get mad at us anymore. She doesn't snap at us anymore. What happened? In fact, so real was the change that the workers that didn't want to be around her anymore were now desirous to be around her. You know why? Because they wanted to be around Jesus. You see, the spirit for life is when the spirit fills you with the life of Jesus Christ. That's the Christ life. That's what this text is talking about. And if that life is available, if that life is accessible, then there's a chance to win. Not just a chance, there's a confidence that you will. His life wins. That is the life that wins. It's Christ's life. And so there is a provision to be victorious in Jesus. Now, since Christ lives in the believer, you and I must by faith experience his victorious life. Now, what makes this possible? And this is where we need to allow the Spirit of God to convince us. So that you don't have wishful thinking. If all you have is wishful thinking, then in the name of faith, you'll get disillusioned. But if you allow the Holy Spirit to convince you of what's really true, then you have a foundation for faith so that you can access the victory that's available. So four truths I want us to see from the text tonight. First of all, there is crucifixion. This first phrase, the Apostle Paul's writing, as a believer, if you're a believer, this is true for you. Even if you don't yet understand it, it's true for you. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Now, that begs a few questions, don't you think? Let's just ask a couple of questions to help us understand this. You know, crucifixion's all about death. An awful death. But it's about death. So, first question. What part of you got killed? <laughs> because it says I am crucified. So, something got killed. What part of you got killed? Now, the human makeup, the human constitution, uh, consists of body, soul, and spirit. Your soul is your mind, your affections, your will, your personality, yourself. So, there's body, soul, and then there's spirit. Now, think about body and soul. Physical death is when your soul is separated from your body. The word death means separation. So physical death is when the soul gets separated from the body. You know what? That has not yet occurred for those in this audience. <laughs> right now, as far as I can tell, we got live bodies. <laughs> now that could become suspect if I go too long. But right now, that looks like we got live bodies in this audience. <laughs> you know what that means? The crucifixion, crucifixion we're talking about here tonight is not talking about your body or your soul. Because they're not crucified. Are you with me? There's only one part of you left that it could be talking about. And that is your human spirit. Now, in the Bible, the human spirit prior to salvation is called the old man. That's not your dad. <laughs> 
And I hope you don't use that terminology. I know the Asians don't, as Pastor pointed out. Uh, but the, uh, the Western culture people, well, you know, it could be a problem. But uh, we know that the human spirit's called the uh, old man because Romans 6, 6 says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. So same idea, and it specifies. Now, to uh, see a picture of this, this is a picture of the unregenerated man. In other words, we've got body, soul, and spirit. We've got three circles there. Uh, the outer circle is the body. That could be larger for some and smaller for others. <laughs> but uh, we won't go into that. Uh, but the second circle is your soul. There's your mind, affections, and will. Uh, but then there's that center circle. That's what we're talking about. That is the unregenerated human spirit. That's the part that got killed. But that begs a second question. If death means separation, and it does, then what union got separated? Because something had to get separated. So, here's a picture of it. Bing! There we go. Now, we should get some sound effects to these uh, PowerPoint things. I think, I think it'd really be cool. Ah. Uh, but notice what's happening here. Here's a picture of an individual in the unregenerated or unsaved condition. We see body and soul. But notice the human spirit is connected here to uh, indwelling sin. And notice God's on the outside. So uh, uh, there's a separation from God. But notice there's a union here between the old man, your human spirit, and an old master. What Romans 7 calls two times sin which dwelleth in me. In other words, not sins, plural, as you see in Romans 1 through 5, but sin singular. It is that sin bent. It is that, that something in us that influences us to sin, to sins, okay, it's this old master of indwelling sin. And prior to salvation, uh, we have a, a connection here. There is a union. So that notice here, we're dead to God. We are separated from God. He's on the outside, uh, but we're very much alive to sin. All right, there's your phrase in Ephesians 2.1, dead in trespasses and sins. Now don't get the wrong idea. We're not talking about a corpse. We're talking about separation. Okay, dead, that is we're separated from God. But notice, in trespasses and sins, the guy's reveling. We're dead to God, separated from God, but we're alive to sin. In fact, we're actually joined to sin. That's awful. Forgive the word, that stinks. Because we're in a defiling, stinking relationship. Everything that an unsafe person does is tainted by that union. That's why the plowing of the wicked is sin, Proverbs tells us. Why? Because the best efforts of unsafe people are done in union with sin. So it taints it all, defiles it, shows that at best it can only be self-righteousness, uh, which God calls a filthy rag in Isaiah 64, that falls short of the glory of God, Romans 3. Everything that an unsaved person does is defiled by that. An unsaved person really cannot do good works, they can only do dead works. And so there is that picture of the unregenerated con condition. Now, the only way out of this relationship 
is separation, is death. Ah, one of these guys has to die. So that brings us to the third question. Who is the liberator? Now look back at the text. I am crucified. What's the next two words? With Christ. Let's say it again. I am crucified. What's the next two words? With Christ. That's amazing. What does that mean? I am crucified with Christ. We know that Christ died for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15.3. That's glorious. That's salvation. That's justification truth. But how can this be? What does it mean I am crucified with Christ? Christ? Romans 6.10 gives us the answer. It says that he, Jesus, died. Now get this next word. Unto sin. Whoa, wait a second. That's different than 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15 says Christ died for our sins. But in Romans 6.10 it says Christ died unto sin. You know what that presupposes? It presupposes there was a time when Jesus had come into union with our sin. That had to happen for him to die unto sin. Do you see it? Now, friends, this is the glory of the cross. On crucifixion day, from 12 noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the entire earth was darkened. Why? And we read that Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Separation? Why did he say that? It's because in those hours, Jesus, God the Son, was separated. From God the Father. Because he was in union. With us. Now friends allow the Holy Spirit to sink it in. This is why I believe the Lord Jesus agonized in the garden of Gethsemane. He was not running from the cross. No he came to save sinners. It was the way of the cross. It was that for the very first time in all of eternity. God the Son was going to be separated. That's death from God the Father. Because he was going to become, uh, come into union with our sin. Now let it sink in. Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Never a sin. Was going to be separated from God the Father. And come into an actual contact with the dirt, stink, and filth of the entire world. Imagine all the sins you've ever committed and all the sins you ever will commit and multiply that by the billions that have ever lived and will live on this planet and all of it he came into actual contact with. Staggering. But it says in Romans 6.10 that he died, there's separation, unto sin once. Now here's the beauty of it. When you believe on Jesus as your Savior, so all sorts of things happen. Your sins are forgiven, and uh, you receive eternal life, all those wonderful truths. But in all that happens, the moment you trust Christ as your Savior, at that moment, whether you knew it or not, the Holy Spirit placed you into Christ. You're in Him. Which means you got placed into His history. Which means you got placed into His death and His resurrection. And at that moment... You were crucified with Christ. So, let's picture it. It would look something like this. 
There's a cut. There's a separation. Jesus died unto sin for us. See, we can't do that on our own. We need Jesus to do it for us. And he did. And when you believe on him, you're placed into him. And at that moment, you're placed into his history. Therefore, you're placed into his death. And at that moment of belief in Jesus, there's a cut in the immaterial part of your being. This reality, this relationship was severed. (laughs) It was separated. God stepped in and you died with Christ unto sin. You were literally separated from indwelling sin. Indwelling sin is no longer your master. Now, if we were in North Georgia, we could shout about this. (laughs) And we could wave hankies. Now, I understand over here, you have no idea what we're talking about, waving a hanky. But, uh, you know, when they get excited, those hankies go up. The guys yell, and the ladies pull out their hankies, and some of the guys do too, and man, it gets exciting. (laughs) Now, (laughs) that actually happened. (laughs) There we go. That's what, can you imagine? The whole auditorium. (laughs) We're getting there. (laughs) Now, that happened. That's crucifixion. Well, let's keep moving here. Let's go to the second truth, resurrection. Or we could say creation, because it's actually both. It's resurrection and a creation. Because our text says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless, I live. Oh, there's a resurrection. Yet not I, but Christ. Now, let's ask some parallel questions. In crucifixion, we ask what part of you got killed. So now let's ask this. Uh, If we're dealing with resurrection... What part of you got raised? Well, it's the part that got killed. (laughs) So the old man died with Christ, separated from indwelling sin, and was raised with Christ, the new man. Now, in that resurrection as the new man, there is, there was, a creation of new life. Now, I love this. 2 Corinthians 5.17 refers to believers as a new creature. Literally a new creation. Indicating a creative act of God took place. That part of you is described in 1 John 3.9. I love this. That center circle is described as the seed of God. Let me throw a Greek word at you. You'll understand it. It's literally the sperma of God. Whoa. God's nature was implanted into you when you got born again. Wow. That's why the new man, according to Ephesians 4.24, is described. uh, The new man which is created after God. So there it is. New creation, seed of God. In righteousness and true holiness. Friends, that part of you is righteous. Not will be, is That part of you is holy. It has to be. It's the seed of God. It's God's nature implanted into you. Whoa, there's a creation of new life. That brings us to the second question. Then, well, what union got joined? There's also a creation of a new union. Romans 7, 4 tells us, That not only did we die with Christ, we're raised with Christ so that we might be married to another. (coughs) 
even to him who was raised from the dead. Now friends, (laughs) this gets even more stunning. This happened. And God is no longer on the outside as we saw in those earlier pictures. God moved in. Now, that part of you had to be made holy for the Holy One to move in. And the spirit that moved in is the spirit of Jesus. We're raised with Christ so that we might be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, indicating that when the Holy Spirit moves into a new believer, it is the spirit of the risen Christ who sits on the throne far above the enemy. And he has moved in. So that, at this point, no longer are we dead to God and alive to sin. Notice it's opposite now. We're dead to sin. See? The word death means separation. We're separated from indwelling sin. But we're alive to God. See, God has moved in. Uh, We're joined to God. We're severed from indwelling sin, but we're sealed in this new relationship with the indwelling Christ. So we're no longer uh, dead to God and alive to sin. Now we're dead to sin and we are alive to God. The old relationship with indwelling sin has been forever severed and the new relationship with the indwelling Christ has been forever sealed. Now, notice this old master guy over here. He's still there. On your body... Or in your body and soul level. What you got to see though. Is that the new man. The real you. Is no longer connected to him. You see. This part of you. Is righteous and holy. It's completely saved. It's your soul. It's being saved. That's what we call progressive sanctification. Through choices of faith. And it is hindered through choices of unbelief. Your body's not saved at all. And won't be till it's glorified. So don't give it a chance. But this part of you is righteous and holy. And the Holy Spirit has moved in. You've got a new master. And that old master, he still seeks to operate. He still, still seeks to deceive you on the body-soul level. But get it down. You're not connected to him. He is not your master. You've got a new master. <laughs> you've got a good master. God himself has moved in. The Spirit of Jesus has come in. And so that brings us to the third question. Who's the liberator? Well, his name is Jesus. It's his Spirit that he sends into our hearts. And the Bible says that he that is joined to the Lord is one Spirit. That's why the dotted line. Just like husband and wife, two people, but the Bible says one flesh. Okay, we've got our new man, but we've got our new master. And he that is joined to the Lord is one Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 uh, tells us what an amazing truth. Now, when we talk about victory over sin, it's not a matter of imitating Jesus. It's a matter of accessing Jesus. As we heard in Sunday school, if you, apart from him, try to imitate him, it's not going to work. Either you're going to be obviously defeated or you're going to have the outward form that denies the power thereof, and you'll be arrogant, (laughs) and you're denying the real life thereof, and it's a self-righteous, filthy rag in God's sight. Now, we're not talking about uh, imitation. We're talking about impartation. Well, somehow this life gets imparted to the soul and body level of us. That's what we're talking about. That's an amazing provision. Now, 
there still is a battle, notice here, between this part of us and this part of us. Galatians 5, uh, 17 words it this way. For the flesh, now the flesh is where this old master seeks to operate. Sin can't sin without a body. <laughs> Stop and think about it. Okay. Uh, it's got to have body. It's got to have body parts in order to pull off sin. Okay. So uh, the point is, there is a, uh, there's a battle here, and the flesh, where this old master seeks to operate, lost against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. Are you aware of that battle? Don't sit there and look pious. <laughs> Are you aware of the battle between your flesh and your spirit? <laughs> yes, every day we're aware of that. Now, there is a battle, but notice this. These are not equals. Now, if I could graphically do it bigger over here, I would, and smaller over here, that'd be better. You see, we often talk about, you know, two dogs inside us, and whichever one you feed the most or favor the most, that's the one that wins. Part of that's helpful. You and I make choices that make a radical difference. But part of it can actually be misleading and even harmful, and that is we often picture two dogs the same size. I don't know what yours look like, but both of mine are strong. But they're the same size in the visual of my mind. Uh, uh, and if they're the same size, then it's going to go back and forth. And part of the time this one's going to win. And part of the time this one's going to win. And you're set up for defeat before you ever get started. <laughs> now look, not even a chihuahua. <laughs> you have those over here? <laughs> the little yappy ones? <laughs> Forgive me if you have one. Uh, <laughs> not even a chihuahua versus a Rottweiler would give us an accurate picture. On the one hand, yes, there's the flesh. There's that old master that seeks to operate on the body-soul level. We're quite familiar with him. But on the other hand, there's the spirit. You say, well, is that your regenerated spirit or is that the Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes. <laughs> because he that has joined the Lord is one spirit. But think of this union. Your new man created after God in righteousness and true holiness. It's God's nature implanted into you. It's righteous and holy. And not only that, the Holy Spirit of God himself has moved in. And friends, when you access him, it's a done deal. The chihuahua of the flesh doesn't stand a chance. So that brings us then to the third truth. We've seen crucifixion. We've seen resurrection. Now thirdly, let's call it overcoming to tie into this morning. Or we could use the word counteraction. It says in the text, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So that somehow his life is being lived out in a way that's overcoming, that's counteracting and overcoming that old master of indwelling sin. Romans 8.2 puts it this way, uh, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, there's the center provision, hath made me free from the law of sin and death. It doesn't say the law of sin and death is no longer there. No, this guy still is around. But this provision, the law of the spirit of life in Christ, Christ's life in you, frees us, liberates us from this law of sin. It's a greater law counteracting and overcoming a lesser law. And so we have a number of illustrations that illustrate this. Uh, the one that really made the most sense to me when I first began to study this is the one I've used over the years. Uh, but... Uh, 
Uh, and that is the idea of the law of gravity. Uh, the law of gravity is a, a downward tendency toward planet Earth, but there are greater laws that can overcome the law of gravity. In fact, uh, Brother Miles and my son and I were depending on that the other day when uh, we got in an airplane. That's the law of aerodynamics. I have no idea what they are, but they work. <laughs> and that big chunk of metal somehow doesn't fall Fall, you know, fall to the ground. Okay, that's a wonderful thing. Uh, but the one I really like to use is the law of hot air rising. Uh, and of course, a hot air balloon is banking on that. Uh, one day, my wife and son and I were driving down the road, and they were, we were coming up on some town in Michigan, and they were having some festival with hot air balloons. I mean, they were everywhere. <laughs> and it was really cool. Uh, and we were up close and could see them and all that. But uh, that's uh, where the law of hot air rising uh, counteracts and overcomes the law of gravity downward. Now, if a little child who's just learned about gravity sees a hot air balloon lift off, he might be tempted to think, wow, look at that, there's no more law of gravity. But no, there's still a law of gravity. It's just that a greater law is overcoming it. It's counteracting and overcoming it. And that's the idea. So let's, uh, let's try to picture this. Uh, let's suppose that you're going to take a hot air balloon ride. Couldn't have done it today. It's too messy. But the uh, last couple of days have been pretty nice. You could have done it. <laughs> uh, do they have hot air balloons over here, dear? Do they use them in Ireland? Uh, all right. Uh, but at any rate, let's suppose you're taking the ride, boy, and you're enjoying yourself, and you see the Dublin Hills, and, and uh, you see LifeGate, and you wave to Pastor, and uh, uh, you find your house and all these things, and, and uh, you got your chihuahua yelling, uh, you know, barking at you down there, <laughs> if you have one. And uh, so you're just enjoying this ride. And uh, then you look at your watch and think, wow, man, I've been up here for an hour. You know, never in my life have I been suspended in midair like this for one solid hour, 60 minutes. And I've just been floating along. And so you get a little cocky and you think, you know, I don't even think the law of gravity has any more power for me. And so you boldly step out of the basket. <laughs> and you immediately begin to plummet back toward planet Earth. And you realize, oh, you know what? The law of gravity is still there. <laughs> so, what's the key? Stay in the basket. <laughs> now in this audience, there are people that knew that that phrase was coming. But even when I preach to a brand new audience, they always get it right. They just always do. Stay in the basket. Keep depending on the basket. Keep abiding in the basket. Why? Because every moment that you do, you access the dynamics involved. And as the law of hot air rising counteracts and overcomes the law of gravity, you benefit from it. Why? Because you're staying in the basket. Now, I hope you're ahead of me, but let's make the analogy. The law of sin is like the law of gravity. Downward tendency, downward tendency. We feel it, don't we? But here's the good news. There's a greater law. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that frees us from the law of sin and death. That's like the law of hot air rising, to counteract and overcome the lesser law. In our illustration, the basket is parallel to Christ. We are commanded in John 15 to abide in Christ, to stay in the basket. And when you do, you access these dynamics involved. And that law of the spirit of life in Christ frees you, it counteracts and overcomes the law of sin and death. Now, friends, that's the truth. And do you know whether or not you've ever understood that before? You've experienced it. You know, there are some people when they get saved, they get, you know, prior to getting saved, they got all sorts of baggage. And in some cases, there are people who get saved and immediately a bunch of the baggage just drops away. 
You know why? Because to get saved, they had to trust Jesus. And many of them are just in that mode of looking unto Jesus. That's another way of saying stay in the basket. And that means they're accessing Christ's life. And guess what? He doesn't have the bad habits. (laughs) And so they fall away. Sadly, often, there comes a moment when they stop looking unto Jesus and whoo, down they go. But even if you're out in the wilderness wandering where you're thinking, oh man, this is pathetic, you get so desperate, you say, God, I can't go on like this, you've got to do something. You know what that is? You just got in the basket. You see, there are many times when you don't even understand faith that you accidentally happen into faith. <laughs> Through desperation, that's the goodness of God. And when that happens, there's a supernatural lift, you're thinking, wow, surprised by victory. Because you don't understand it, as soon as the pressure is off, we're prone to wander right out of the basket and down we go. And so we scratch our heads thinking, "Ah, this is is amazing. I've been defeated and yesterday I had victory. Man, that was a shock. And now I'm back to the old defeat. But you know, when you understand the dynamics involved, then you can stay in the basket. That just as you got in the basket, a choice of faith, God dependence, you can stay in the basket. More choices of faith. More choices of God dependence. And friends, when that happens, you experience revival. You experience Christ's life being imparted to you. And when that happens, you are experiencing His very life. The life of Jesus that walked the planet. And you're experiencing that life. That's powerful. And that's what happens when we exercise faith. That's what happened to Rosalind. She began to access Jesus. And it became obvious. That's when you can be regularly victorious, surprised by defeat. Tragically, there are times when we blow it. We don't have to. The provision's there. But uh, this is the dynamic that we're talking about. Now, when I first started using this illustration, my home church in Ann Arbor, Michigan, decided to uh, surprise my wife and I with a hot air balloon ride. I first started using this illustration in 1999. And uh, some of you know Mary Lynn. Uh, uh, if she were here in this conference, you'd get to know her because she's just that kind. She, she'd be there. And wherever she is, there's laughter <laughs> and lots of fun and uh, so on. And so uh, she said to me one day, uh, I had never said anything about taking a hot air balloon ride. I was just using the illustration. And she said, you know, John, if you ever take a hot air balloon ride, I want you to know you'll be taking it by yourself. <laughs> well... <laughs> The church didn't know she'd said that, but uh, they decided to surprise us with a hot air balloon ride, so she was stuck. This was before John Jr. He would have loved this, but at any rate, uh, we got to the scene, you know, and here's this balloon. It was flat on the ground, not an ounce of hot air in it. I mean, you know, it was just flat on the ground. Wow, I've never even seen that before, and so they're explaining this and explaining that. And finally, it was time to get that balloon blown up. So they got all the ladies in the church and said, now stand over here and start talking. (laughs) No, not really. (laughs) <laughs> I got to get back in the basket here. <laughs> yeah, next point. Uh, when they got that balloon ready to go, they said, all right, it's time for you to step in. Now, for me, it was basically one giant step. For Marilyn, it was two or three small steps. <laughs> uh, but we climbed in. It was also my sister, Joy. Some of you know her. She's, of course, now with the Lord. And then is my brother-in-law, Gary Hurth, pastor of the church there. So it's the four of us, and the fifth man was the pilot. He's a neat guy. And uh, strong guy, and he, he's given us uh, some final uh, instructions and so on. And then he said, now, are you ready? Well, we all giggled and lied. <laughs> 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 it 
if you know what I mean. And uh, I remember watching that arm, that strong arm reach out, and there was just a little clip, and with his thumb, he went like that. And I mean, in a split second, if you can imagine, all of that hot air ready to just pull us skyward. It was whoosh, and uh, the ground was 100 feet away, just like that. And you kept rising, and you were rising quickly by a power, not your own. What an analogy. Do you know you can rise by his power? It's resurrection life. It's risen life. And when you access that life, you rise. Why? Because he does. And as we took the ride that day, there was no struggle. You go with the wind. And if we would learn to yield to the Spirit and depend on the Spirit, it takes the struggle out of it. Oh, it's not that we don't have trials, but the struggle of trying to live for God without Him, <laughs> by depending on your own power, that doesn't need to be one of the struggles. And just as we had to choose to get in the basket, we had to keep choosing to stay in the basket. Now, that was an easy choice. <laughs> and if we would recognize what's real, it'd make it a whole lot easier. And that brings us to the final truth. We've seen crucifixion, we've seen resurrection, we've seen overcoming or counteraction. And finally, there is the cooperation of faith. Now, uh, we have to make a choice. There's the yielding of the will. If you yield to the old master, who's not your master any longer, it allows him to dominate. And so when you cave into the flesh, the works of the flesh are manifest, and there's a domination of the flesh, even though you're a child of God. However, if you yield to the Spirit, that leads to a spirit dominance. Well, what does it look like? Which, you know, which way you yield? Well, if you yield to the flesh, <laughs> this is the picture of the carnal uh, Christian, where if you take the, the, the lines that we just had and put them this way, and like a slinky, pull them this way. <laughs> if you remember the slinky, I don't know if that illustration works anymore. I hate to date myself. But... Uh, when you yield to the old master, then who you are in Christ is veiled, it's hidden away. As the flesh dominance is up here, and sadly, unsaved flesh and saved flesh looks the same. And so there are saved people who look like they're lost. However, when you yield to the spirit, then the spirit is in the dominating position to give life and impart life and counteract and overcome the flesh, and now God is manifest. And when that happens, you have the overcoming life. <laughs> Where Christ's life in you is accessed and imparted to you, to your soul and body level, and you become partakers of the divine nature, you begin to grow and get grace, you are experienced in His divine life, and it can go beyond that, even to the overflowing life, where you access his life, not just to you, but through you, out to others. Now, our responsibility is faith. It says in the text, and the life which I now live, which life? Not the self-life, not the not Christ, but me life, but ready, rather the not I, but Christ life. This life. How does he do it? He says, it's by faith. Now, he didn't say, try harder. He said, trust. You see, victory in Christ is victory without trying. Now listen carefully. 
But victory without trying is not victory doing nothing. It's victory with trusting. (laughs) But it's not you trying in your own strength. It's you trusting him so that his life is imparted to you and through you out to others. And friends, I'm going to tell you something. That's when it gets exciting. It really does as you're accessing him. Now, the part about Christ giving you a new man, righteous and holy, is that in the future or or has that already been done if you're saved? It's already been done. The part about the Holy Spirit moving in and joining you right there, is that in the future or is that already done? It's already done. Okay, so when we talk about faith, let's get a little bit detailed here as we wrap this up. We're not talking about asking. For it to be done. Why? It's already done. Now there's a lot of promises in the word of God. That are the will be's and the shall be's. And those things we're supposed to ask for. Because they're not is's. They're will be's and shall be's. But this is an is. This is already there. It is being provided. It is being uh, given. Let's word it this way. Thanks be to God who is giving us the victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Same truth as Galatians 2.20. Christ is living in me. He is giving us the victory. Well, if he's giving us the victory, what's our responsibility? Take it and say thank you. Because <laughs> it's that real. Then you can act on it. Now, if you just act, it's just you. And down you go. <laughs> but when you take, there's an inflow of his divine life. And then act, there's an outflow of his divine life. And now you're experiencing the supernatural life of Jesus. So here's the provocation that normally would cause you to fly off the handle or get irritated or frustrated uh, uh, or whatever the case might be. And you can say, thank you, Lord, for your life. You can get specific. Thank you for your patience. Okay, that's taking. And then his life is imparted to you to speak the soft answer or to respond with long-suffering instead of (laughs) short-suffering. And making other people suffer. <laughs> but friends, it's real. Here's the, the, the billboard, the temptation device, the temptation to addiction, the temptation to impurity. And we can take. Thank you, Lord, for your holy life. That's taking. And then you can act on it. Because now you have his life to free you to look the other way and be free from what you saw as if you did not see it. See, that's freedom. It's not you just striving in the flesh. Look the other way, but in your heart you're thinking, I really wish I could look over there. No, it's taking and then acting on And you're free to look over here and be free from this as if you didn't see it. That's how you can walk through the workplace and the marketplace and be unscathed and unpummeled by the end of the day. Hallelujah. That's Christ's life, accessible by faith. As one lady said, After we had just dealt with this, she was sitting in the pew. I paused as I was walking down the aisle after the service to see if she wanted to say anything. And she looked up with tears in her eyes and said, there's hope. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Now friends, thank you for your kind attention tonight. And I do mean that. This is real. This is absolutely real. I wonder who tonight was a preacher. I don't think I've ever understood this before. Maybe you haven't been saved that long. Maybe you have been, but you just uh, have never caught this. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you haven't. But you see tonight, wow, it's right there. It's in Galatians 2.20. It's there. I see it. 
And you'd say tonight, God is awakening me. That this matter of victory is not wishful thinking. That there actually is a provision. There is hope. God has awakened me tonight to this. Would you raise the hand please? If that's where you're at. Yes, 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 yes. Hallelujah, yes. God bless you tonight. That's wonderful. Who else would say, preacher, I've never seen this before. I've never caught it uh, on this level of being really convinced that this is there. God awakened me. Anyone else? Would you raise the hand, please? All right. Amen. Wonderful. Now, I wonder who would say, preacher, I have understood this intellectually before. I've heard it right here in these conferences. But somehow I've missed the power of it. And though I've understood it intellectually, God tonight is sinking it in. That's where I'm at. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, 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 yes. Amen. Wonderful, yes. I wonder who would say, preacher, I've understood this before. I've heard it before. I've even understood it before. And not just intellectually, I've experienced this before. But tragically, somehow, I've gotten off track and God has reawakened me to this. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, yes, yes. Amen. God bless you tonight. Now I wonder who tonight was a preacher. I'm not even saved to begin with. I'm in that awful condition that you pictured at the very beginning. uh, Of being joined to indwelling sin. Where indwelling sin defiles everything I do. I never knew that. And God is convicting me tonight. I need to get born again. I need the life of God to be birthed into me to begin with. That's what being born again is about. And you say, that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm not saved. If I died right now, I, I'm not going to heaven. I need, I need God's life to be implanted into me. I need that, uh, that whole crucifixion, resurrection thing to take place to begin with. That's where I'm at. I need to get born again. That's my need. I need to be saved from sin and hell. God's speaking to me. If that's you, would you raise the hand, please? Yes. All right. Thank you. Is there someone else? Say, preacher, I'm not saved. I know it. It's not an accident I'm here. I need to be born again. I need to get saved. Several have been saved already in the last two days. Who else would say, preacher, I need to get saved? Would you slip the hand up? Now, let's take a few moments, shall we? To talk to God about what he's talking to us about. If you're a child of God... Uh, You uh, can just start talking to God. If you'd like to slip to your knees where you're at, you're welcome to do that. If you'd like to come up here, you're welcome to do that. But you need to talk to God about what he's talking to you about. On the one hand, we can say, God, forgive me for just ignoring all this and all the cave into the flesh and all the wrong choices. Uh, But we uh, uh, we can go beyond that. Take the cleansing power of the blood and start praising God for what he says is there. Start rejoicing. Start saying, God, thank you. For this provision. And ask the Holy Spirit to keep the truth before you. So that in new temptations and trials you can take. And then act on it. And friend as these others may be praying about these other things. If you need to get saved. If that's your need. Why don't you just in the quietness of this moment. Heads are bowed. You don't need to feel embarrassed or awkward at all. Just head to the back. And a trained worker. A man for a man. A lady for a lady. Will take you to a prayer room. And make sure you understand salvation the Bible way. And you can walk away from this uh, meeting tonight saved. Born again. If that's your need. As others have their heads bowed and are talking to God. Would you just head to the back right now. And get this settled once and for all. Would you do it right now.
Take time to talk to God. And if you need to get saved, you just head to the back right now. We have uh, folk ready to uh, take you to a prayer room. won't take long at all. And you can understand what the Bible says. And you can be born again tonight. If that's your need, will you respond? Will you come to Jesus?